the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. To the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleina Hour. Power of Water is the theme of our show. And as you know, uh, worldwide, we've been discussing water all over the world for many, many, many years. Why do you believe that some countries of the world have become desert sand. No one in that era and time of life knew what to do about saving the water and protecting the water. Why is it that when our astronauts go off to different planets in the solar system, we're finding that there hasn't been found water yet? The planet Earth has water, and it's had water for a long time. Life is in the water. The power of all faith has always been surrounded with water. Have you ever noticed how religions base their faith around the water? That because at the beginning of time they knew there was something in the water that was powerful, it's because earth is made up of water. All of the mountain ranges, everything that has been created from trees, the soil, you are water. Your brain is 80 to 90% water. Your blood is 80 to 90% water. Your organs of your body are mostly water. Your body is made up of water. And without the water, there is no life. Then comes the breath of life, the water and the air that you don't see. They call it in modern times humidity, water and the air. So there would be no breath of life, if there wasn't water on the surface of the earth, it'd begin to diminish. And a lot, you will not be as healthy. You'll feel anxiety. You'll become more, the diseases will be out of control because there's not enough water on the surface of the earth. Fresh water is only 3% of earth's water, but only 1% of the water is usable. The world, as National Geographic has said, is in a world water crisis. We haven't been taking it priority serious. And I'm going to tell you, this focus of our show is going to be the water, the water, and your health. The Oregon National Guard here in Oregon, I was so excited to read that the Oregon National Guard is looking at recycling water. And I talked to a gentleman who I will have on the show here soon that absolutely took it in hand for the National Guard, James Arnold, and by gosh in heaven, they were able to recycle their water and with an Oregon National Guard. They're learning what to do. So out of every five gallons of water, four gallons have been recycled. Now, what about Singapore and other areas of the world? Recycling water. What about our farmers, our everyday life? What could be the next great, exciting business venture of the world is learning how to recycle the most priority reason for life on earth. There would be no life, but learning how to recycle the water. Water, water, water. Make it your priority. National Geographic has long been a global observer of this impact, and they had a water issue that said everybody all over the world has got to take serious the water. Other countries of the world that are in a water crisis where we're having 5,000 children dying a day because they don't have water. There's something wrong. Every politician, every elected official, every single human being should take 
serious the water first before anything and everything. Then we can have a healthy climate. We'll have a healthier planet. And did you ever stop to think that the solar system could be influenced? Because we know the Earth has water. We're putting moisture in the air. So there's more behind the theories and the studies to discover long-term, forever, lasting eternity. The water must be saved. Let's do that together. Today we have Robert Weir, who is from Lakeview, Michigan. Uh, Robert has been on our show many times. He's an author, editor, and speaker. He travels all over the world. And by the way, he was just our guest here at Biologic Aqua Research Center, and he was able to see what I do as the founder and uh, my research into water and the concerns I have about the air and supplementing, um, withholding into your hands a supplemental water do, uh, to describe as a mist or a spray. Uh, that's my field. I've been studying that for over 20 years. And he, we really enjoyed Robert, and, and, and maybe he might help me write my book, because as we've been talking, I am going to be writing a book. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears I Missed. Did you know the surface of your eyes has a tear film? And that tear film that nature gave you protects you from water loss so your eyes can keep the water content on the surface of the eye. This at water prov- provides you the healthy benefit of being able to have vision. Without the water, you would have no vision and it depletes to blindness. Nature's Tears Eye Mist is the only supplement worldwide to be able to supplement that tear film to give you that thirst quenching that you should be giving it every day. And we know you're drinking a lot of water, but we know you also need to have thirst quenching to the surface of the eye with a supplement, Nature's Tears Eye Mist. Well, listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Robert. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Robert, are you with us? Hello, Sharon. Good morning. Yes, well, I am. Well, thank you for, I know you're traveling, and I thank you for joining us today. Where are you at today? I am in the community of Snohomish, Washington, just a little north of Seattle, Washington, in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. It is gorgeous with mountains. I've been there. Uh, it's a beautiful area here. I think you're in the neighborhood of Costco, a famous store called Costco. Their corporate office is up there. And it is just gorgeous, and the mountain ranges there. We've had the head of the mountain ranges of that area of Washington on here and listening to the thousands of years that have passed in that area and you can imagine that the beauty in those tall trees and lots of water a lot of water there robert it's a great beautiful place uh, the entire pacific northwest uh, washington state here where i am and oregon where you are and i was visiting with you a week ago uh, it's all beautiful country with just gorgeous fresh water and terrific temperatures at least at this time of the year it's a gorgeous place to be 
Well, you just missed ours. Uh, you, I don't know what the temperature is up there. It's a little cooler, I'm sure. But we've been having over 100 degrees since you left. So, and expect it this week. But we don't get the humidity like a lot of other places get. It's a dry heat. So, we're okay. Now, tell us about, today we were going to discuss your world travel, but then we're going to go into understanding, uh, your travel into and what you're thinking on some of your discoveries on when you were in India. Uh, because when you were with me a week ago and you showed me so much of your time in India, but you've been all over the world. I mean, you've been, tell our audience uh, to kind of refresh their minds, those that haven't listened to you being on before, your travels. What have you done? Well, mostly prior to 2010, Sharon, I, my travels were in just in the United States. But in the since in 2010, I traveled for uh, four months to eight different countries, including sailing as much as I could, uh, including across the Atlantic Ocean, on the Aegean Sea, the Black Sea, and the Baltic Sea. And then um, in 2000, late 2011, I uh, traveled to the uh, well, the, the U.S. state of Hawaii, uh, which is, seems like an entirely different place because it's off the mainland of the United States, and then to Manila of the Philippines for a while and on to another six months in India, mostly in the city of Kolkata as well as in the Himalayas. And um, with more adventures ahead of me, of course, I like to be out and travel, and, and I'm so blessed that I can, well, I'm not retired, I continue to work, but my laptop is my office, or my office is my laptop, so with a telephone and internet connection, I'm able to work for my clients, and I am so blessed to be able to do all of that, combine travel and my, uh, and my creative work, and do my own writing, of course. Yeah, your writing uh, has been about nature. What is what? Is, what is? What do you? Uh, I mean, tell us a little bit about that before we move into uh, our topic today about uh, what you, we discovered about India. What are some of the topics that you, that your people that you're writing with, uh, and you're writing about? Is it? What are some of the topics? Well, the the books that I write and the articles that I write, as well as the topics I speak about, fall into the category of people, peace, social justice, the environment. And now I'm writing more and talking more about my travel and doing some travel logs when I do my verbal presentations in front of live audiences. And um, and also I edit books for other authors. And the the genre of most of those books seems to fall into the category of human evolution, uh, some spiritual or metaphysical development, mm -hmm. as well as well. That's all to me. That's all related to our environment, water, land, air, all of the things that you believe in and talk about so much. To me, they're all related. Um, I mean, wars are fought over natural resources like oil and water, and uh, if if we could be more at peace with people uh, and share the planet's equitably, I mean, share the planet's resources equitably, well, that's social justice and, of course, peace through understanding, not just the absence of war, but just but peace through understanding. I think if we could get along with each other better in that regard, we would all take care of the planet in a better way. What is your and, thinking, Robert, out there? Because you brought this up now. Um, what is your thinking about, for example, the different uh, dictators, leaders, um, uh, people of the world that w will not go along with what you're thinking? There's, um, there's dictators who want to control their people, and they do it by means of, of uh, whatever so source they have or whatever excuse they have. How would you get along with them? Well, I, I don't have a formula for getting along with uh, with anyone in particular other than to be at peace within myself. And of course, I'm not working on the uh, international governmental scale, so I, I'm not interacting with with dictators of um, whether they be uh, benevolent or or cruel. Uh, but I just believe that getting along with people in general comes from being at peace within myself, being confident there we of go. myself. Okay. Yeah, I can belief. see where you're coming from, and and that is true. Uh, if we can learn to live with ourselves within our own, uh, or we, well, they, we, it's always been said that we're a walking orbit, each person on Earth. 
and the influence of that person is by far greater than everybody believes as an influence to the rest of the planet and to the whole system of life is that person. So what you're saying is right. If people could learn to live within a piece of respect of other people's lives and not be so dictatorial over uh, that their life has got to be leading somebody else's life, that if they learn to give out peace and respect to each other with dignity and responsibility, uh, you know, Robert, I always say with re- respect and dignity and um, the moral outlook of what is right for each person may not be right for another, but and then the other one back to um, the oil and the water. And I would put water before oil, the, the wars. Uh, we were after I when I started studying, and you can help correct me. I learned that those um, Eastern company countries have been fighting over water among themselves for a long time. Did you find that out to be true? Because they're not driving as many cars as we are here, but they're fighting over their villages and water. Did you find that to be true? Well, uh, I, I agree with you, first of all, uh, but in my experiences, I was not in situations where I saw people uh, fighting over water or even uh, quabbling, uh, scribbling over water, mm-hmm. but um, but still, well, like most of my time it was in, in India was in Kolkata, and what I did see and experience there was the community pumps, the community wells, uh, that were, where people come on a regular daily basis to gather their buckets of water uh, or five-gallon pail or goat skins that have been turned into bladders in which they could carry many gallons of water. So at least fortunately in Kolkata, where I was for most of my time on my last trip, there seemed to be an ample supply of water, and, and it was potable enough for the natives. I personally drank filtered water uh, because of my Western stomach. But, you know, I can imagine that, like in Kolkata, uh, there could be an example of what you're describing if the water supply was not there. Because Kolkata, for example, has a population density of an amazing 40,000 people per square mile. That's a tremendous population mm-hmm. density. And you get that many people um, who don't have a water supply, whether it's in an urban city like that or in a desert like the Sahara or, you know, the bush countries of um, of Africa or whatever. I mean, yeah, we need water to live. And if it's in danger or we don't have that water available, people will fight, uh, unfortunately, rather than... Well, disease becomes out of control. In fact, what you were describing to me and a lot of the listeners, I'm sure, were thinking, the person gets up in the morning and goes to their water uh, locations and comes back with a little bit of water, but is that flushing the toilet and washing their hands? Is that water to cook with very much, What a clean with very much? So the people that were going after their water at the moment, maybe they went back and forth more than once a day, but... What you just described was probably all for more for drinking and cooking purposes. Yes, yeah, definitely for cooking and drinking purposes. Uh, I do know that, um, where, well, let's say if uh, when I would, would wash the floor, for example, where I live, I might change the water for, in my pail for two or three times so that I always had fresh, clean water. Uh, but I do know from watching people clean in Kolkata, for example, that they would use one small batch of water until it was dirty, filthy, and then continue to use it to finish the washing job so and probably water, even though the in abundance the there time right still used primarily for drinking and, and cooking right right now mm-hmm. you've got a lot of exposure between uh where your lifestyle here is in the united states and then your lifestyle there and when you lived in india for a while but you also went to the himalayan mountains and got another one what was the difference between the Himalayan mountains when you went up there, because they have an abundant amount of water. 
yes, I did see an abundance of water also in the Himalayas. Uh, of course, uh, I was there during uh, the end of the monsoon season, and so it, where it rains every day, and uh, the rivers seem to be uh, flowing very easily with uh, with quite a bit of water. So, well, I I know what you're talking about, or I've read and heard about uh, the shortages of water in other parts of the world. Fortunately, where I was, uh, there was an ample amount of water, not always potable to my Western stomach, but um, but it was it was there both in the Himalayas and in Delhi, where I was for a while, and um, also in Kolkata. Now, when you were there in in the Himalayas, did they ever discuss anything about water at all? What uh, the most important thing that I heard about in um, in India, especially the Himalayas, was about the a situation in Tibet being occupied by Japan or by China since the nineteen. 19- 1949 and 1950s. So uh, water was there, was discussed more in terms of the monsoons and when the monsoons would rain or would end. Um, the um, mold was a big issue because it was so wet there in, uh, during the monsoon season. Mold growing on the, the walls, interior walls of buildings, uh, including the guest house where I needed to stay for a while. So, um, no, I didn't hear that much about water. Where the I reason I asked Robert was in, in India, they're very worried about uh, the Chinese government are having a lot of problems with water in China because the uh, pollution of the air, polluting their water. And the, in the Tibetan, in the Himalayas, there's an abundant amount of water, and that's why they've always uh, wanted to occupy uh, Tibet because of the water, and they've made that very clear. They want the water, and then there's a river that moves from in that in the Himalayas over into India. And uh, if they would decide to cut that off or slow it down, there would be a water crisis in India. Now that makes a lot of sense, um, Sharon, and that relates back to the concerns that I heard. This, um, people in the Himalayas talk about the Chinese occupation of Tibet, and I think there are actually there are five uh, headwaters in Tibet, or for five major rivers. So uh, one of them is the Indus River, which uh, flows through India, and I think there's another one or two that from that flows from Tibet into India, and of course there are rivers that are headwaters in Tibet that flow into China, and some of those are under consideration for dams within China. So, yeah, to me, you know, again, this all gets back to the relationship between the environment, whether it's water or air or, or whatever, and peace and social justice and looking out for each other, taking care of the planet. It, mm-hmm. The things I talk and write about are all related uh, because of that. Yeah, uh, that is something, Robert, that the world needs to hear about is uh, the social justice of, uh, it's like when Saddam Hussein got upset with the first uh, war he had that before the United States went in later uh, was the fact he was upset with some of the villages and some of the people in his country um, having sided with his particular enemy. And then he went into the different parts of the country and cut off their, uh, bulldozed all those natural canals of water and, and wetlands. So they would have no water and they, uh, he wanted to, he really didn't give a darn if the whole family died and all their animals. Many of them did flee, but many of them stayed and died. I guess it was the worst mass destruction of life that anybody on earth had ever seen because of the way he went about it. And then when the Americans went in, they began to bring back all those tributaries and bring back that Garden of Eden that was there again and bringing back as much as they could and still uh, developing into the water coming back into Because, well, the aquifers below there are always there. You just have to bring them back up to the surface again and let them flow. So if a country mm-hmm. wants to be um, not at peace, uh, they could do cruel things to society and cut off the water, and you know eventually they will slowly die. You have to have the water. Now, over That's in correct. India, they don't have an abundant amount of water in India so compared to the Himalayas. 
So uh, they've been depending on nature for many, many, probably thousands of years. But then all of a sudden in India, it's amazing. Now, have, when you were in India, did they ever discuss water or was that just taken for granted uh, that the power has surges a day and that the water is short and uh, they're, they're having a problem of scarcity of, of an adequate enough water? They're 1.2 billion people in population where China is 1.3 billion people yes. to feed water to uh, and remember, audience, we just said, water is life. And from the beginning of times, all religions knew without the water, there would be no life. So their faith was based around it. So, but did you, did you ever run into any discussion about any of that when you were in India? Sharon, I really didn't hear that much uh, here about the uh, supply of water, the quality mm-hmm. or the uh, the quantity of water. Mm-hmm. I did receive uh, or participate in some discussions about the quality of the water, okay. especially for international travelers. Mm-hmm. And what I observed in talking with people who have been in India for years and decades past, that uh, in the past, uh, restaurants even would not serve filtered water. It was only by bottled water, mm-hmm. and, and that was not always available. But now the restaurants are, especially the uh, a real restaurant, not just a curbside food stall, but the real restaurants are, are filtering their water. So there is that component of water quality, especially for Western travelers to India. But I, I feel very fortunate because, well, I, I have heard stories about other parts of India where the water supply was not adequate, not quanti- uh, enough quantity of water. But where I was, uh, that fortunately was not an issue for me. Now, let's go and discuss your, uh, you, you, you fell in love with India. <laughs> yes, no, when I talked to you, and you, you know, I could see in the pictures you were showing, and and uh, and I know you don't you have uh, on your website some of your pictures from India. I, I do my website, yeah. and I'll give you. And the, your website is www dot robert weir um, and robert yeah. m weir w e i r dot com. Audience, yeah. you'll go and see his feeling and his compassion. And then also tell us a little bit about Rosalie. Um, Rosalie, you've met, made a very close friend there, and she lives in India most of the time. Uh, yes, and, and you touched on a couple subjects uh, there, and just to confirm that my website URL does have an M in the middle, Robert M, as in Martin Weir, my full name being Robert Martin Weir. So Robert M. Weir is my website. Okay. And there are stories and pictures of people in scenes in India, people have commented that I take more pictures of people, and that's I think because I'm people oriented. Right. And I'll, I'll, and I'll, I, I will say that you are. Yes, you are. I've witnessed that. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. Yeah. you. And but, so uh, are you, Sharon. Back and so you. Pardon. We thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Uh, yes, we did. Right. Yes, uh, and but in. To, it, all of that relates to, to Rosalie, uh, and me, with me being a people-oriented person. Uh, Rosalie Jiffin-Yellow is a, a woman of, um, uh, let's say, she took an early retirement from education in about 12 years ago now, and chose to go to India, primarily or specifically Kolkata, the city we all used to know as Calcutta. And she has been working now for 12 or 13 years with slum-dwelling children in Kolkata, providing an education in what they call non-formal schools, uh, schools not run by the government, but where uniforms and books and book bags and shoes are required, but non-formal schools where the children just show up because they want to receive an education. And um, Rosalie had started to write a book about her work there and about about her life as a woman in transition. Uh, she's in her 60s now, so when she took her early retirement, she was about 50 and uh, going through life changes and deciding to strike out on her own, to travel alone uh, and overcome whatever fears might be associated with that and travel to India. She initially 
uh, taught uh, English to some Tibetan nuns in the Himalayas, the, the Dharamsala area where the Dalai Lama is, and then moved to Kolkata where um, she's working with these slum-dwelling children. And so she asked me to help her to participate in the process of writing her book, and, and when I talk about my clients, those are other authors like Rosalie or whether they be um, established internationally known experts, writers, or whether they be uh, people who are writing their first book, emerging authors. These are the people who I help craft their manuscripts. And many of my clients, are, it's not necessary for me to actually sit and be in the same place with them. But after talking with Rosalie, we both discovered that it was important for me to go to Kolkata and see the places and the people where she works. We're going to have to have a moment with our sponsor, Robert, and we'll be right back and we'll talk about what you were doing there with Rosalie. and um, because what you showed me is what what she's doing with it's almost, is it almost a thousand children that she's working with? I, it must be. It, it probably is. I know she her organization now funds education in thirteen mm-hmm. different uh, schools or technical facilities. Okay, we'll be right. back in a minute. And we'll find listen to what you're going to teach us about what's going on with her dedication and passion and why you fell in love with India. Well, listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Roger Ware. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to talk. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Kleiner Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Kleiner Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Robert, are you with us? I am, Sharon. We were yes. talking about uh, your passion, and uh, I, I, I feel it when you say, uh, and I've met other people who fell in love with India. Um, and um, tell us about why you, as the world traveler and, and all that you've accomplished in your life, what was the passion about India for you? Because you've been into many countries. Well, um, I think the pa- passion I feel about India and I want, I want to thank you very much for this opportunity to answer your questions here on your program, Sharon, and to share this with other people. I, I think there's something about me that even before I went to India, I mean, years ago, decades ago, I felt as though I wish I were living in an earlier time, uh, a time of greater simplicity, uh, and and I found that simplicity, along with complexity, in India. I, I found a strong sense of community in this slum area where Rosalie has her flat and where I was able to stay, and our, our home there, her home where I was a guest, uh, was actually nice relatively uh, compared to our neighbors where they live but also very modest and and simple compared to the homes that are available to us here in the United States so I, I'm a person who likes simplicity and I found that the people there do live a simpler lifestyle a more of an old-fashioned lifestyle I felt as though 
I were watching Little House on the Prairie or participating in Little House on the Prairie in an urban environment. And the connectivity that neighbors have with neighbors, uh, maybe more than what a lot of Westerners have been attuned to lately or, or in the past decades. But I liked that that simplicity, the interconnection, the neighborliness, the watchfulness that people have for each other, and it, I, that just appealed to me. I like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Well, you did mention to me uh, that you uh, that when one one parent uh, or a member of the family and the adult side of the family had to go do something other families around there in the neighborhood of where they live, and that we, what we mean is all of them are living so close to each other, of course, that they would help each other by taking care of watching the children and do certain things yes. to assist each other just automatically without saying, I will do that for you. They're doing it just automatically. Yes. The concept of hiring a babysitter just doesn't seem to exist because the village, this urban village in the slum area where I was living in Kolkata, they were collectively raising each other's children. You know, so that that uh, what is the statement that we often hear about? It takes a village to raise a child. Well, I saw the children of my area of Kolkata being raised by the urban village in which they lived, and where. Uh, older teenagers uh, would just look at look after the children, and it wasn't a dollar and a quarter an hour, or five dollars an hour to babysit, or whatever rate you know we have in the U.S. Now, it's just the way the culture is to look after each other. And uh, well, Rosalie tells a story, for example, of when she first moved into her flat. Um, about a decade ago now, she needed to go to the airport to pick up some materials that were being shipped from the United States, and the airplane was arriving like at 2 o'clock in the morning, and with a certain amount of trepidation, she walked out of her flat, and within a few feet, uh, her neighbors were saying, Auntie, Auntie, you know, Auntie is being the carryover from the British colonial days, you know, Auntie, where are you going at this hour? And she told them, and she said, oh, well, we, we will walk with you to the taxi stand here. We will walk with you. And when she came back at 3 or 4 in the morning with the items from the airport, some people were still up. And, and Auntie, here, we walk with you. We help you carry these things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, well, there are examples of that kind of neighborly friendliness in the United States, too. And I don't mean to say there's a, that, that much of a stark contrast, but the openness and the friendliness that just seems to be all over among the people we encountered in Kolkata and in Dharamsala and in Delhi uh, is nice. I like that. You know, Robert, you just said something um, that reminded me of what made our country great is the fact that our forefathers didn't say, how much money are you going to pay me to help you build your barn? Right. How much money are you going to pay me? You had a fire. I'll help you clean up. Uh, how much money are you going to pay me to help you build your new business because I know it will help the community. I'll help you. I mean, we were built on um, a culture of people of an enormous generosity, the generosity of our forefathers that were the original American forefathers and as their generations grew uh, was a total respect of not separating people but helping people, uh, not worrying about who had what more than the other, but what can we do to build a better community. Right. Well, look at, look at the name of our country, the United States, and in the statement of united we stand. And uh, to touch back on American politics right now, I see so much divisiveness, and that tears my heart apart because the United States really is a great country, but there's so much political bickering and pointing of fingers and blaming. And I find this on both sides of the political aisle. Republicans, Democrats, Tea Party, whatever, the concept of independence together, of being united, just yeah. doesn't seem to exist among the majority of politicians. Again, I don't want to make... Well, a what's happened, like, you know, I always look at this too, Robert, and I remind everybody when I say this, the United States, is uh, their forefathers was a genius, a brilliant... Uh, at seeing the future of dividing us into 50 states. And they're like 50 mm-hmm. small countries. 
and each state has their uh, way of living within their own state, and they have their borders and their government and so on. We're very young as a, as a country, as, a, as 50 states, compared to the rest of the world. They've gone through their, you talk about the cycles of people, the cycles of behavior, history, they call it. It's all people, history. And this country is going to have to learn, uh, like other countries of the world learned, although they were smaller little countries compared to our 50 states. They're, some of their countries are the s- s- size of our one of our states, and then some of our uh, their countries are smaller than our states, our states, some of our states. But we have a lot to learn. You're right. And I feel that we'll learn it. I think that we're going to learn that our forefathers – the, the brilliance of the charity of the world. They always believed in helping other people all over the world. They sacrificed yes. lives. But yes. we've got to realize the most important part of our life is, is you know, Robert, you talked about what is going on. It's bickering. Yes, it is. It's a very decisive a difference of agreement of how to run the business called Government America. Other countries learned through the years of their long-term years. Um, in fact, in China, some of their companies are 150 years old. Over in Japan, some of their country companies are 150 years old. Mm-hmm. And we have country companies over here that are really young. Yeah. And we're all trying to figure out how do we support our economy of, uh, we have a population in the United States of, of nine, uh, 314 million, 151,597 people compared to the whole wide world is, as of today, Robert, 7 billion, 32 million, 541,200 74 people as of this week. So how do we take care of the economy, the water issues of our country, uh, the uh, the uh, emergency of disaster in our country, besides take care of business in our country to make sure that our uh, 315 million people can survive and live a happy life among our 50 states? And it's a very, and if it wasn't for, it's the way it's going to be all over the world. If they didn't have a coin, I always love the word copper penny. If they did not add up the copper pennies to the coins, to the dollar bills, how can you do it? You've got to be able to figure out how you're going to balance the budget of each home and, and inside the home. Have you noticed how here in America, audience, that gas prices are going up again this summer? Well, I always feel sorry, Robert, for the families who have to go by car to go do something and to get to their jobs, get to the kids, maybe to their athletic practices or to their friends. They can't afford it right now because they can hardly get the proper nutrition to the table, pay the power, and they turn off your power if you don't pay your power bill. You might not be kicked out of your home yet, but your power bill, and you won't be able to make a phone call without paying your phone bill. But the most important one, Robert, in America is the power bill because it's flushing the toilet, it's running the water, and it's turning on electricity to run everything else. So these people, how are they going to have, and if the government keeps throwing money at what they're doing, showing people that they can keep printing it, but people inside their homes, Robert, are going to become what happened to other countries of the world. They won't be able to do it if our country doesn't figure it out. Mm-hmm. You're right about that. It, uh, the bickering has got to go back to what is best for everybody's dinner table. It's as simple and, and as that, you know. <laughs> and the, the general answer that I have for your question about how do we get along better, how do we you know, resolve the issues that you just elaborated on, again, I don't have a formula. I don't know if anybody has a formula or a plan, per se. But I have to go back to a basic philosophy that I've adopted more than a decade ago now that was proposed by a man named John McConnell. He's an, a visionary from the 1940s and 1950s. He's still alive at age 
97. He's the man who created the original Earth Day on the spring equinox and created the Earth flag, which I'm sure many people have seen. And I wrote his biography in 2004 or 5 time, and his concept of peace and justice and the care of Earth, that the basic conceptual answer to your question is what he would call peace through understanding. We have to understand each other's point of view. Politicians, for example, need to understand the budget crises that are occurring within households within the the nation, like you just described. And, And people in the United States need to understand what's happening in other parts of the world, which is like why I like to tell stories about people in other parts of the world. And when I'm in other parts of the world, I tell the people there about the people in the United States. I don't know how many times I and Rosalie and others have said, no, not all Americans live in mansions and drive convertibles like you see on television programs. Because television in the media is not providing the understanding through which we can gain peace, but it's through our human dialogue, the internet, global interconnections, as well as connections between the people within the United States that we're going to come up with the conceptual answers. And then we work together for justice, which is an equitable sharing of resources. And that's what it's all about. That's what you're talking about. But have you ever traveled into a country? You've been in so many countries. Have you ever seen in any country where there's a Salvation Army in every community, there's uh, a church that offers free food in every community, churches. Have you ever seen, uh, in, in our government, we offer public assistance programs, we offer Medicaid, we offer mothers with children. There's no end of free health care for all these people who don't have health care. Free health care. I did not necessarily Have you ever seen that in any other country that offered free health care to all these people who don't have health insurance? No end of that in our country, and there's millions of people on that. And then if you're out of work, you get unemployment. Um, There's so much to offer to our people in our country that a lot of times we take for granted. But one thing that I'm back to the water issues of each country, the one thing about India that I found is they do have water as a supply, but they still don't have enough, Robert. The National Geographic was talking about uh, this little boy. He was standing in line in India, and I've, I've said it on this show many times. It just, my heart just, and he had a little baggie, uh, like a sandwich baggie, to go get some water. And when he crowded, the children beat him up, and he died. And um, so India is having a lot of challenges with water because of the power surges and more. Now, when you're talking about the slums of India and all those children and what Ryu and Rosalie and many other people have done, my own granddaughter volunteered. She took her own money. She traveled to India with her own money uh, with a group, and she worked with an orphanage of children when they go to an orphanage because some of the homes have too many children and they can't afford to take care of any more children. So, so some of the children have to move into orphanages. Could you tell us a little bit more about what is happening with the children there? Because like what Rosalie is doing to take care of so many that haven't gone to the orphanages, but what's the difference, Robert, between the children that are not in the orphanages and the children that did go to the orphanage? How do they get over to the orphanage or or have to get to stay at home? What's the difference? Well, uh, the orphanages that, uh, or the orphan children who Rosalie interacts with, uh, or has interacted with, were primarily at Mother Teresa's facilities, and Rosalie volunteered there for two summers before in starting her own organization, which is called Empower the Children. And the, the children who are in Mother Teresa's facilities are orphans because, of course, uh, their parents are either deceased or the parents have a abandoned the children for economic reasons or mm-hmm. whatever, and maybe because there's not enough water to, to um, you know, provide adequate uh, water for the entire family. Mm-hmm. The 
unfortunately, most of the uh, children who Rosalie interacts with through Empower the Children, is uh, they do have parents, uh, but they also come from large families. Uh, I mean, there are there are very many people, 1.21 billion people in India. The families are large. Uh, how many children does at, each family have, do you believe? Uh, did you learn in, uh, how many children are the average children in, per family? It, it seems like uh, five, six, eight children. Okay. I don't know about an average statistically, but I met many families who had five, six, seven, eight children mm-hmm. living basically in one room. And I was in some of those homes in both Kolkata and Delhi. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and in the slums that are like really slums made out of tin and, you know, scraps of wood and, and tar paper and such like that. That's where most of Rosalie's schools are, and I was in some of those homes also. Mm-hmm. And it, actually with people mingling together, it was kind of hard to determine how many children were in each right. of those I, I just uh, That's why I asked. I bet it would be very hard to determine how many children are in a family. Well, it, it, where I did pick up with the numbers of five, six, seven, eight is we're talking with some families in Delhi and in Kolkata where I got to know the people and being in their homes where there were six children or eight children in basically a room that was about 15 by 15 feet, which, uh, you know, the size of a modest or a normal uh, middle-of-the-road um, bedroom in the United States or a living room would be the entire house or home for a, a family of six or eight children, plus both mother and father. So it's, those are some of the... Well, their population people. is growing, growing. Right, right. In part it's of 1.2 the, billion now, and uh, the last, uh, d- disco- when I looked at it not long ago, it's still growing. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, of course, some of that comes from the idea that was prevalent in the United States a hundred years ago or more when we were more of an agrarian society, that we need to have a certain number of children in order to, uh, well, allow for those children who are going to die while in their childhood ages, as well as to work on or participate in the family business. And there's a certain element of survival required or that comes along with uh, having more children or more children come along with having with the IU trying to survive and keep the family from dying out. So it, there is that difference between the United States or the Western world now and the people of the, the third developed or third world countries uh, that they are living a way that we lived more uh, 100, 150 years ago. A difference of then and now as was greater or than the differences between here and there because to me we are just all one connected human race and some of us here like here in the western world are more privileged and some of uh, us in the other worlds do not have the material life standards lifestyles that we have here mm-hmm. and the word privilege uh, what does that mean with all the world that you've traveled I've got to ask you that word privileged means what to you because you're a man of, you use words to write. What does that reflect to you? Well, what, as I spoke privilege just now, what I was thinking about was health standards, lifestyle standards, uh, quality of life, longevity, uh, you know, having an automobile. Yeah, I'm, I'm on this Good road trip, for example, and I've been, since May, I've put 10,000 miles on my automobile. I'm privileged ah. to own an automobile. Um, most of the people I met in India do mm-hmm. not have that particular privilege. So lifestyle standards was mm-hmm. what I was thinking about a moment ago. But I will also say that the people in India who I encountered are privileged in a different way. They're privileged to live in a community where the sense of community is generally stronger than what I have observed, where there's a sense of unity within Mm -hmm. the neighborhoods rather than the divisiveness that I see among some people in the United States. Um, I feel... Uh, there's just a privilege of being of closer-knit families mm-hmm. where the families generally live together, live in proximity with each other. Well, in, don't in you believe in those kind of countries and all over the world this is happening 
with many of those countries that have had the, just the descriptions that they don't have the privilege that you just mentioned. They're in a survival thing of life and death every day because of this, of health issues, uh, sanitary issues, uh, not knowing which personality is going to go, uh, which direction, uh, and they become very survival. That's probably why they're um, unprivileged. Uh, they don't have. They have to help each other to get through the day. Yes, and, and yet they are privileged in order to have that help readily available uh, from a, a variety of neighbors, from numerous neighbors and family who are living close to them. You know, so it becomes a matter of how do you measure privilege? How do you measure wealth? There we go. Do you measure wealth wealth in money? Well, then the United States is a privileged country. If you if you measure wealth by the family closeness, a close knit family, and and neighbors who are just really looking out for each other, like we've mentioned in this conversation, well, then. I think people in India who I encountered are privileged, as well as are some people who live in some communities. Now we just in the finished, United and we only have a minute left, but we just finished our privileged uh, wealth of Olympics, uh, bringing yep. the Olympics together again in London, and see the absolute magnificent uh, um, competitors come from all over the world and compete with good manners and uh, give it their all with their own teammates. And they looked beautiful. They wore the most beautiful outfits. Uh, their entertainment was absolutely the most absolute wonderful entertainment to, for the world to see. And um, some of these people came from just about areas of the world like you just described. They did not have the privilege unless there was such a thing as an Olympics uh, or other types of programs or events to, offer, to give them opportunities to go out and have a vision. Imagine. In fact, one of the songs they talked last night uh, was one of the Beatles songs uh, uh, titled Imagine. And uh, there's children I've t- heard in India that imagine that one day they do work hard and they do well. Uh, and they do find that peace and justice in what you're talking, uh, that they will work hard to find with their vision that they can imagine that they can grow up and go out into another part of the world and do something else. And that leads back to education, Sharon, which is education. why I compliment Rich yes. Rosalie and, and there yes. are hundreds and dozens of other people from the Western world who are providing an education because to those children in Kolkata and other cities, those children know that their hope, their future resides in their education. And in that regard, they are taking education, I think, more seriously than children and families and government. Well, our time is over, States. but you are right about the word when whoever invented the world the word education education is vital to all of us to learn to see two sides all sides and make a decision with with a vision of imagination to what we want to do well robert i enjoyed every minute again and uh, <laughs> yes, we we're going to get you back on again. So when you Good. get a moment again, uh, and we got to get to know. And I'd like to spend some more time next time in uh, the Tibet area or that area of the Himalayan Mountains. I really want to hear more about that. So if you can do some research on that for me, I'd like to hear more about that too. And I can tell you my stories about teaching English to some Tibetan monks and Salah, here. Uh, thank you so much. Get Rosalie. I said hello. Okay. And God bless and thank, thank you. you. You having a good day. And Bye-bye. be well. Bye. Well, can you imagine? You need to embrace your life every single minute because we're living in a world that is moving into the greatest opportunities there ever have been. But embrace somebody else's life too because that means that you're visioning. Um, other life to go on, not just your life. But remember, Earth whispers to us something. And if you listen real close, turn off the radio, turn off the TV, and listen really, really close to the nature of the world. It might bring a tear. It might choke you up a little bit. But Earth is whispering. You leave something behind because you're that important. Always leave something behind.
I want to thank you for listening. You have a nice day and be well. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the world talk radio network for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit worldtalkradio.com the world talk radio network where the world comes to talk the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the world talk radio network its staff and management